How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hello and welcome to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. I am Bill Oram, joined this week by James Crepia, Oregonian beat writer for the Oregon Ducks, and Nick Dashiell, Oregonian beat writer for the Oregon State Beavers. Guys, I would normally start this by saying I don't know the last time that we had two top 25 matchups in our state for you know, both teams. Uh, happening more or less at the same time, except for I do. It was like three weeks ago when Oregon State had Washington State, the Ducks had Colorado. Um, Obviously, we know kind of how that all ended. But now, um, two kind of monumental games. But, I mean, we can't really fool anyone here. Oregon-Washington is is basically the Titanic uh, matchup of the season so far in the Pac-12. So, James, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what is what's been the biggest storyline this week going into this game between number eight Oregon and number seven Washington up at Husky Stadium? Well, I think it's twofold, uh, Bill. I think it starts with, from a national perspective, especially this is the first of what will be several epic clashes of the top quarterbacks in this league. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. Uh, there are two Heisman contenders, and. They're facing off, and again, they're each going to face Caleb Williams. So all of those roundabout meetings will probably determine at least one, if not both teams, who make it to the Pac-12 championship game. And I think the quarterback who has the most success in all of these head-to-heads will probably help determine the Pac-12 champion and the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, So that is from the national perspective uh, to the masses, as well as, yes, to the locals, uh, the number one thing. And I think specifically to both Oregon and Washington fans, uh, one of the other things of the week, most certainly, is this is year two of the tenures of both of these head coaches. And you cannot talk about year two and the end of the Pac-12 era of this rivalry until and unless you acknowledge what happened last year, because it was rather dramatic. Uh, So revisiting that, uh, yes, there are a number of players who've changed, but the quarterbacks most certainly did not. Uh, And how each team has gone about improving individually and collectively since then uh, and what may have been learned since then and the like, I'd say those are the two twofold main things uh, heading into this game. Nick, I want to bring you in because you've covered, you know, dozens of, of Huskies games over the years throughout your career. Um, a lot of Oregon, Washington games. And, you know, I'm just wondering if there's anything from your history that stands out, maybe from like the 1907 season, 1915, any. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, Dick. Nick's You're making a, a face. Funny me, guy. But... <laughs> no, my history. My history of this series goes back to high school because in the seventies we had that 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 one 
two-year stretch where I don't know if any series has ever seen this before, where one team won 58 to nothing, and then the next year the other team wins 66 to nothing. And then I, you know, I learned from a friend of mine in high school, his dad was a big duck fan. You kind of learn that the Oregon, Oregon State series, you know, it's a rivalry, but you know, there's some respect on both sides. Washington, Oregon, it's just total hate. I mean, I've written dozens of stories over the years just talking to Husky players, Oregon players, and it's a little tempered now because coaches won't let their players, you know, say much. But back in the day, I mean, they, I mean, they unlo- they unloaded on the other team before the game, and it was it was just pure hate. Um, Vic, is it, it does one matchup stand out to you as as even approaching this level of of hype attention? And I think we agree it's all warranted given the, the quality of, of the, the quarterbacks and, and both these teams. Has, has there been a game in your experience that has even been close to this, Nick? No, because you know part of the problem with this series is it's it hasn't really been all that competitive in terms of, you know, the, the year after year, just real blockbuster games. There's been stretches where Washington dominated for over a decade. And then Oregon had that run where they won 12 in a row. I mean, probably the best, the best run of this series was when new Heisel uh, took over at Washington. Cause he had come in with the scoreboard baby game at or against when he was at Colorado and, and that really lit, lit a fire with Oregon. And there was the, you know, he had the, the 2002 game in, in Eugene where, where Reggie Williams stomped on the O and, and they won 42 to 10 that really set off fans. And, but there's not, not as a, as a single game. I mean, there was the overtime game and I don't remember what year that was, but that, that was pretty competitive, but I don't know of a game where, you know, the buildup is quite like this one. And James, um, you mentioned last year in in Eugene, and that that game, I, I've, I'm writing about it this week. I, you wrote a story about it that's available now on Oregon Live. That game, you know, kind of changed the trajectories of, of both teams, and certainly the Ducks last year, who with you know, Bo Nix looked like he was wedging his way into the Heisman conversation, um, or was had, had had arrived in the Heisman conversation. The Ducks looked like they were on their way to the the Pac-12 championship game, given the way they'd been playing. They had third down, looked like they were about to punch it in and go up by 11 with about three minutes left. Nix goes down, hurts his ankle or his foot. They settle for the field goal. Bo misses a series, and Michael Penix goes crazy. So from uh, f- can you share what they have said at Oregon this week? I mean, I was reading your story. There was, I thought, some really honest quotes from from players there about kind of the, the way that game has stuck with this team uh, for nearly a year now. Yeah, and I think you, know, you have to acknowledge, like, there's going to be – there's going to be hurt and emotion there. Uh, and for that, you know, on this side, and of course on Washington side, a lot of jubilation, no, no doubt about it. Uh, but yeah, hearing from guys who obviously took part in it, uh, even in slightly less than prominent roles insofar as they weren't starters, like a Jackson Powers Johnson who had to come in late when Alex Forsythe's shoulder just started spasming and it just, just gave out at that point. And, and he had to come out of the game at the very, very end of the final drive. Uh, hearing from him and saying like, yeah, it stung and it stung all year. And yeah, it stuck with us. And he said, well, because, you know, people are saying, you know, we're the little brother of the Pacific Northwest and we're the little, you know, we're not the, we're not the big guy in the state or the region. And I saw him go, well, who's saying that? Was that something that somebody said on the field? Was that something, you know, like Nick was talking about, was that Mm -hmm. trash talk? Was that, uh, you know, to the victory goes the spoils. And I I thought what was kind of revealing from, from Jackson in that regard was, 
no, like that's just, it goes like, well, that's just what we say. And it's like, well, we like just the players internally, we a small group. Is this something that like, who, who exactly is using his motivation in that regard? But it sounds like something that came about in some degree internally as a way of acknowledging like, yes, with bragging rights comes also the ability to say like, you're the best team in the state because you won the year mm-hmm. before. You're the best team in the region because you won the year before. And if you blow those games as they did in November, you don't get to say that. Uh, And now whether or not that's just something to say this week, whether or not that's been uh, something that's been a little bit under wraps by way of what's been said behind the scenes and just happened to come out this week. uh, I I did think that was a bit revealing from him, Uh, from Evan Williams, who joined this program in the offseason. But his brother, Bennett Williams, was on the wrong side of the what was the game tying touchdown at that point. because it was just in a, in a very, very difficult spot defensively. Uh, really didn't do anything wrong, per se. Just had a lot of ground to cover, so be it. But last season's game, for as big as it was, and it was, and that impacts certainly some of the players on the field and how they go about preparing and thinking about it and their mindsets and the like. Uh, like Nick talked about, I've gone back uh, to do a little bit of historical context for some stories to come here the next uh, day or two and chatted with some folks from some of those and actually found one of Nick's old stories. Uh, from back in the day and uh, some of Ken Go's old stories from back in the day uh, in that regard about this series and some of the ranked meetings uh, between these teams for the over the last 33, 35 years and trying to put it in proper context and trying to get an idea of what was the buildup like to some of those earlier meetings because it just hasn't happened as frequently as some other, you know, premier rivalries in the country. Uh, and it's, it's pretty amusing uh, when you go back in the history books and look at so- how some of this stuff was billed and also in television, how at the very beginning uh, in the nineties, it's not that far, we're <laughs> not that far removed. The 1990 and 95 games weren't even on live television. How about that? <laughs> I mean, so, so James, I mean, I think we kind of all look at this as, you know, kind of the, the, the height of the Oregon Washington rivalry, from a competitive standpoint, I mean, 1990 was the first time they played as as AP top 25 opponents, right? So even that's a little like an asterisk. Yes, uh, and that will certainly be the way most all of us will refer to it, except I say an asterisk because even going back to the 90 uh, stories, you can pull some, uh, the, the literally the pregame video from Oregon Sports Network up on YouTube. It's about a six-minute clip. They referred to the 1962 game. And, of course, that's a little bit before my time. Uh, so I go, you know, okay, wait a minute. You know, in the history, you know, looking through the record books, I'm like, didn't say Oregon was ranked in 62. Now, I am not an AP poll historian from that era, but in examining it further, uh, the AP poll in 1962, at least in season, only went through the top 10. And Oregon received votes whereby in the modern era we would say they were ranked 13th so ahead of the 1990 game they went well since 1962 now all these years later we'd say like well they weren't quote-unquote ranked and it's like kind of (laughs) again the poll like the poll and then again it gets wonky because in some years even before that you look at the history books and it's like well you have teams ranked in the teens and it's like well how are they ranked in the teens one year but not the again we're in a different era of college football and how things were necessarily, you know, bookmarked and uh, and the like and polls and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, um, yes, for the modern for modern tracking, uh, nineteen ninety was the beginning of it. But there was at least one prior incident 
uh, in 62. And as I say, as Nick kind of hit on, uh, yeah, Don James and, and Washington certainly dominated uh, for much of the 70s into the 80s. Oregon had the stretch uh, earlier this century in the early 2000s. 12 in a row. Yeah, and and up until a couple of years ago. Uh, so, again, it's been uh, it's been lopsided at times, but for the last five meetings now uh, have been between ranked teams and this being the biggest uh, on paper. And now it's moving to a different conference where it could frankly take an even bigger role um, and, and play an even bigger picture nationally uh, than it ever has before. But, but Bill, let me, let me ask you this. Let's say 30 years from now, let's say this game, I don't know, let's say it goes overtime and it's, I mean, it's a, 34 31 game i don't know just pick a score of you know a really competitive game 30 years from now do you still think the bar will be set at the 94 game where oregon won because of the wheaton pick and what it meant to the program and how how it how it just ate at washington for god knows how long i i I don't know that this game even if it's an epic is still going to top that 94 game well, I think, you know, I think that's an interesting question because also we sort of um, historically we, we canonize and lionize moments where they become larger than life. Right. And so the Wheaton pick at this point is, at least from the Oregon point of view, is the is the you know, is the singular representation of of Oregon's history against Washington. So I think, you know, it's going to be hard to replace that unless it happens generationally. I mean you know, in terms of, you know, what that meant for Oregon and and setting up, you know, the Rose Bowl and kind of ushering in this this totally new era of Oregon football. I mean, that's probably the most significant moment, you know, from of as far as moments go that the program has and can point to. Is it the biggest single play of all time? Like, I mean, probably not, but it, it just sort of it's what it represents and it's always going to represent that. But to that point, you know, we don't know what's going to happen Saturday. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. But let's say one of these quarterbacks has that quote-unquote Heisman moment. Sure. And let's say that that team goes on to not just win the conference championship in the final year of this conference. But what if Washington or Oregon, again, we take your pick. You know, you can't, can't really say the hypothetical of one or the other without upsetting one fan base or the other in this podcast or any other form. So whoever the team is, that quarterback has the moment. That team wins the conference title. That team goes, wins the national championship. Yeah, sure. That will be, especially if it were Oregon in the first ever. Yes, thirty years from now, we will most definitely be looking back on Saturday well, in a different way. If that, that but you if, know. but if if that all happens, right? Like you're saying, the Washington game. It, it, I guess we'll. It, we are so in the like hypothetical, but like the Washington game will not be the biggest moment of the year at that point, right? You will have Bo Nix winning the Heisman. You'll have a triumph over Georgia in the national championship game. The Washington game will be. Because you will have beaten USC, you will have won at Utah. Washington will be one piece of this bulldozer of a season. Um, Possibly, you're right. Possibly, you're both right. I I agree. It it depends on all the other moments and what happens. Because look, I mean, there were things that had to happen in '94 after that game. You know, it wasn't like that was the last game of the regular season. You know, yes, it became other things, but like we forget about all the games thereafter because of you know it just gets lost (laughs) to history in the moment. So. Well, so starting with this weekend, James, to your point, and I think this is I think this is important for Oregon, Washington, you know, um, Oregon State to some extent. Oregon and Washington both play starting this weekend, play five of their final seven games against teams that are currently ranked in the top 25. So, I mean, this conference could look a lot different a month from now than it does now. Winning at Utah is hard. 
Oregon has obviously struggled with that. This Utah team does not look like the teams of the past, but I think Cam Rising is going to be back soon. What does he look like by October 28th or 9th? Um, you know, that is, that's, that's, a, that's a big one. USC at Austin is a big one. Uh, Washington has to go to the Coliseum. Um, Washington has to go to Reser. Um, so, I mean, there's all these, there's all these uh, variables of that could totally change the season. And I, so, I mean, this actually, this, as big as this game feels right now, this game also is kind of just the, the entry point for both these teams to the total meat of their schedule, because it is a total, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a total gauntlet in the PAC 12 right now. I mean, Oregon state, I would just say as, as you know, by way of a, uh, you know, example has already played two of the ranked opponents in the, in the conference, you know, Oregon comes off this game this weekend, then has Washington state at home, then goes to Utah, then has, um, then has Cal and then immediately deals with USC. And it's just a, it's just, it's just a tough league. And so I, I don't know. Did you guys think that is, is it possible Oregon or Washington gets through this thing undefeated? Or are we kind of expecting that, that everybody's going to slip up at least once in the Pac-12? What are your opinions? Oh, I'd be shocked. If, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I'm saying I think it's possible. I mean, a month ago, I think all of us, and most anybody would have thought that it would have been a round robin of, of everybody taking at least one loss. Because I think a month plus ago, everybody still thought that USC's defense surely had to have some level of improvement. Right. <laughs> um, now I Wrong. think, uh, yeah, I think whoever wins Saturday, I think that fan base will be so emboldened uh, and greatly confident about every remaining game, uh, including and especially against USC, as, and if it's Oregon's purposes because it's at home, uh, that they will feel like they have the advantage and should be favored in every remaining game. And I'm not telling them that they're wrong. Uh, it wouldn't stun me if everybody still took a loss, but I think the winner of Saturday's game ends up in the conference championship game one way or the other. And I think ultimately, if you had to pick it right now, more likely than not, by odds, I'd say odds makers might say that these are the two favorites to end up in Vegas, no matter what happens on Saturday. Yeah. I think that I think that's fair. Um, Nick, well, we got to we got to get to the Beavers here just because you know, like like I said, this is going to be the the third top twenty five matchup in four weeks. You've got two top twenty teams coming to Reser. Um, what do you make of the Beavers through these you know first six games? And and I think specifically, I mean, we have to ask about the defense, right? I mean, you saw kind of two different situations in the Cal and Washington State game versus Utah. Utah not really the downfield threat that. Um, Washington State and somewhat surprisingly Cal proved to be. Um, who do you think the Beavers are this year and at this point? You know, I don't know. What we're going to find out Saturday. <laughs> I mean, I because I think Saturday is going to be one of those games where both teams are going to run, try to run the ball against great run defenses, and I'm not sure we're going to find out. You know how they would fare against a, you know, a traditional offense that can do it both ways. I don't know who the Beavers are because, like last week, they didn't have both their starting corners. They may have them this week, and maybe that mitigates some of the damage Cal did. But Cal's got some really good running backs, and Oregon State didn't defend them very well. So I don't know if 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 the DJ that shows up last Saturday shows up most of the rest of the way. I think they're pretty good. If if he's if the DJ that showed up the first half at Washington State there may not be two wins left on the schedule other than maybe Stanford and somebody else. So 
I think DJ's got to be he's got to be close to that Cal quarterback and and the, and they got to get these starting corners back to you know to hang in there in some of these games because Saturday's game actually to me isn't the toughest one of the stretch that I think the next toughest stretch is these two after the bye the Arizona and Colorado game teams that aren't even ranked but they're on the road against teams that have proven they're pretty good maybe not great but they're pretty good especially if they're playing at home so I mean, I'm looking at Oregon State. I think they almost got to win Saturday because this those two after that are going to be tough to even get a split. Well, those are two really prolific offenses that have shown that they can put the ball downfield, and you know they'll they'll exploit you if you make any mistakes in the secondary, and that's where Oregon State has largely been been vulnerable. So, um, yeah, like I guess the, the little bit to be determined. Uh, Nick, for people who haven't been to, you know, I know it's not, I guess it is, it is a night game on Saturday. What, is, what has the atmosphere been like at research since the the renovation? And I knew, I know with the new led lights, I, I was there for the Utah game. Um, it's completely transformed the, the, the game experience at Oregon state for anybody who might be going down on Saturday for the first time or who hasn't been yet. What has the game experience at Oregon state been like this year in, from your estimation? Well, you know, flyovers are the best part of the game, as as Bill will tell you. He's okay. He's hold a, on, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be shamed for this. I <laughs> I think you should be able to see the flyover from the press box, and if your stadium has a roof over the press box, I'm gonna tell mock, you I couldn't you see mocking, your flyover. You were mocking flyovers before the flyover even happened. So, so I mean, if you if if you if you if you go to games in Oregon every week, I mean flyovers are pretty standard fare so i guess i just don't get like overly excited about a flyover anymore sorry okay well anyway no reeser i mean reeser is i mean for a thirty-five thousand seat stadium it's it's pretty damn loud and and those lights really make a difference at night when when they're able to turn them on and off and change colors and things like that the thing that's kind of holding reeser back right now a little bit for fans is the is the sound system, which is going to get replaced, but it may not get replaced until the Washington game or afterward. The fans, I hear this every week from them when they're after a home game, how bad the sound system there is, but it's going to get fixed. But that's about the only downside to Reeser. But I mean, it's loud and and teams have, have trouble running their offense in that place right now. The last few years they have because it, it, the atmosphere is pretty good there. James, when are, when's Oregon going to play a game at Reeser Stadium next? Do you think? Give me a give me a give me a wager. See, I happen to be more. Um, I, I guess I'm probably viewing it through a little bit more of an optimistic lens, um, sure, and, and pragmatic lens. But I do think, believe it or not, that the Apple Cup actually plays a really significant factor in in answering this question. Because, for example, if you're going to say Oregon Washington is the preserve, you know, obviously the preserve rivalry as it goes into the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and all the other rivalries that are preserved in the Big Ten, by the by, with limited exception, because Iowa has three preserve rivalries, so they can't all be played the last week of the regular season. Um, well, most of them are going to be played the last week of the regular season because they already mm-hmm. have been. So, by process of elimination, Oregon and Washington only have each other to play right now, except Washington has an opening in its 2024 non-conference schedule. And obviously Washington state has a many, 
need so need, need for an opponent. They they could resume the Apple Cup immediately, and not just in twenty four, in twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Like they they don't have to cease. They could just keep on rolling. For Oregon, Oregon State. Yes, there are more hurdles because of Oregon's non-conference schedule right now, as we know it. But I'm not saying it's impossible to reconfigure some contracts, back out of some, you know, reschedule some games, whatever the case may be. But the first part of the whole domino effect here is obviously the legal fallout and that impacts both the Apple Cup and Oregon, Oregon State and everything else. So when do I think? I happen to think 24 might be a bit of a stretch regardless. Uh, in 25, I don't think it would necessarily be at Reeser um, in terms of the rotation for Oregon's purposes because I'm not sure Oregon – like. Oregon would love to host them both in the regular in one season if it was mm-hmm. if it was convenient, but I'm not sure Oregon State would love that idea necessarily. Uh, so ultimately, probably 26 if I had to guess at the earliest. But until I know the legal fallout of everything sure. with the Pac-12, you know, I reserve anything and everything. That's that's just my own feeling. For those who you know, I'm not, I'm not putting out like I'm predicting. No, I'm just saying like when do I envision it uh, from a practical sense? Probably. But that said, again, crazier things have happened. Uh, we saw in 2020, you can just cancel games and reconfigure out games on four days' notice in some cases. So um, I, I try to be more optimistic than that. I do think pragmatically that the sides will resume in any and all sports eventually. Some won't see any disruption for football, I, I hope, sooner than later. So I, I think what I'm hearing is that if, if Washington and Washington State pick it back up or never never lose that momentum it would be a lot harder for oregon and oregon state to be like we're not going to play it because washington washington state are doing it and it well two, kind of, twofold kind of- one it's harder because politically yes sure two because at that point the apple cup presumably is the last game of the regular season as it has been and therefore oregon washington is a mid-ish season game you know whether it be october november whatever which i think is preferable in any number of ways anyway because, at least for Oregon and Washington's purposes, they've been the ones saying they want to resume the series. And to Washington State's point, like they've also acknowledged they would probably like to eventually. So assuming that the in-state games are still the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, when they do resume, then Oregon-Washington is played right around now on the calendar or a little later, whatever. Well, then Oregon's got a final weekend of the regular season opening, potentially, if the Apple Cup resumes as we know it at the time that we know it. Right now, I don't think we can assume that's the case in 24, and I'm not sure the Big Ten has the luxury of waiting uh, for the legal fallout from the Pac-12 to figure all this stuff out just yet. Um, I think they're going to try. I think they're going to try to be accommodating, but I'm not sure the Big Ten will bend over backwards to make that happen for 24 who does Oregon have on September 14th next year on their not on their non-conference schedule for the 14th? Uh, I'm trying, I will pull it up very quickly, but they have 13 games next season because of the trip to Hawaii. So on the 14th, they have Boise state at home. Um, okay. And 
yeah, so that becomes the challenge of yes, because because that's that's a week. Oregon State for some reason plays the thirty first August, and then the seventh of September. And then they play Purdue on the twenty first. They don't have a game on the fourteenth. So I was curious who Oregon had that that weekend. Yeah, and that's and like I say, and that that could be the one where if they were to resume and resume immediately, how do you go about maneuvering other things and the like? I I happen to think that if they were to move heaven and earth, you would move the if it were up to Oregon, I think they would try to move the Idaho game. <laughs> if any, Hey, but, Hey, 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 um, don't, d- d- Hey, all my in-laws went to Idaho. We're not going to, there's no, there's no vandal slander on the, uh, Oregon I, sports I, podcast. I, I, none, none such just saying from a practical sense, from a, from a monetary standpoint, dollars and cents of it all, it may be the easiest, but again, I'm, I'm not sure there's a lot of mobility and flexibility in the 24 schedule regardless, but Again, I'm still I'm still the one holding out hope and saying that everybody's going to be pragmatic in the long run. So you know, I know there are some people out there who say that's not even possible, uh, particularly among fans. So who tele- by the way, who televises a, who televises an Idaho Oregon game now? A great question, and I think that's why Big Sky uh, TV. The the <laughs> one of the many factors why the Big Ten got rid of those games going back to around 2010, but then had to backtrack and say, well, all right, we'll let you do it if you have four conference home games in a year, then we'll let you play the FCS game. But to your point, Nick, um, it was a very different conversation when the TV inventory had zero value on the Pac-12 network. Fox and the Big Ten network, they're actually rated on Nielsen because they generate real money. <laughs> um, they're not going to take, you know, they're not going to make Oregon and Washington, USC, UCLA, mainly UCLA, cancel FCS game contracts. But I wouldn't be stunned if those teams attempt to either get out of or push out some to not have four or five straight years of them in their first years in the league, because the, the, the value equation is different now. Before it was, hey, we have to have a game on the Pac-12 network anyway, so let it be this one. It's a cheap game for us to do. We pay them a couple of bucks. We get the gate, and it's no value to TV. Now it's like, oh, wait, TV actually is paying us real money? <laughs> they they want the game to be watchable? Oh, uh, yeah, we probably don't want to you know necessarily have that anymore. And that goes for anybody in the league, and that's, like I say, why the Big Ten tried to get rid of FCS games going back to 2010, I believe, is when it sort of started before they backtracked. Bill, as the moderator, how do you let this conversation derail to Oregon, Idaho? I mean, come on. I'll tell you what. I, what I'm going to say about Idaho is I'm probably the only Montana alumnus. I was going to say, don't get him started on Montana. Who, yeah. who, who you can get to say nice things about Idaho this week, being the week of the real rivalry in the region, the Little Brown Stein. Montana is at Idaho on Saturday uh, at the Kibbe Dome. So um, obviously that's where my attention will be on Saturday. You have a good time in Seattle, James. Well, uh, you know, I, I was looking forward to seeing you in person again, Bill. But you know, I, I might just, now I that might just, I know, I might, as I start going north, I might just, I might, I might just feel the pull of the steering wheel to go east toward Moscow. We'll see. Um, okay, James, I will see you in Seattle. Nick, have a great time in Corvallis. I mean, that sounds like a, that's going to be a total banger of a game as well. Um, look forward to reconvening here in the near future and hearing all about it thanks everyone for listening to the oregonian sports podcast we will be back in future weeks with more analysis and stories of your favorite teams athletes and games 